0: Wow. Hey, thanks for being here. You didn't come for me, but here I am. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's how it is. I do have a technical question that's been just distracting me all morning. Who sits there? Elijah. Elijah the harpist or something. Who is that for? Okay. Oh, too bad. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's it. So, <laughs> I'm done, people. I have my answer. All right. Um, one of my favorite verses, John 12, verse 24. You maybe hear this around Easter, but I think it could be a daily pledge. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The one who seeks to love his life will lose it, but the one who hates it will keep it forever. Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me where I am. There my servant also will be. Jesus is asking us to surrender to a dying not unlike his own, of course, different in many ways, but there's a similar rhythm. He wants us to be where he is, which is at Calvary, And in this way, he invites us to discover a little cross of our own. That's the big difference. His is a big cross. Ours is a little one. Uh, The seed that he he asks us to surrender, uh, to release to him, I conceive of as the difference between the hard things that happen in our life and our response, whether it's a closed fist Maybe something that's happened to you uh, that that tempts you, very understandably, to be defensive and hard and bitter. Our response can be to close our fists and to shake it, maybe for self-protection, but of course we're not that smart, so our self-protection just becomes a hardness that ages even the young, that makes beautiful people ugly. Uh, and people that, 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 that could be so creative and open and life-giving, hard and guarded. Maybe things that happen to us. It might be things that work inside of us that we don't quite understand. Two plus two equals 16. We don't know why we feel the way we do, but it shames us. Uh, it distresses us. It causes us, as Dan says, to, to be self-contemptuous uh, and guarded. An internal struggle that also can cause us to to tighten our fist and to be guarded, hoping that other people don't see the flawed, disordered thing inside of us. I think the surrender Jesus offers us is to go like this, to say, yeah, that was terrible. That's a rotten thing, it's an ugly thing. Whether it's external or internal, it really doesn't matter. Uh, when we go like this, we're saying, God, I, I, I'm, I'm dying to my broken way of handling this. My broken way. We can't always control what happens to us or what goes on inside of us, but we can, have, we can change our response. That's all we have. That's the dignity the Father gives us. And it's as simple as going like this or like this. We all live with a lot of people going like that and it's getting worse. Our culture has become so xenophobic, so certain that it's the Chinese or the Muslims or the homosexuals. We've become so, so bitter and small-minded in our fearfulness, right? We need to go like this and say, God, it's, it's me that needs mercy. I'm, you may have been a Christian decades, and you need the mercy more now today than yesterday. has nothing to do with acquired sanctity. It's about saying, God, in light of everything that's going on, all the things I have no control over, I'm going like this. Come, Lord. And, and this is the seed that dies. This is, this is the seed that dies. It's not morbid. It's not the worldly sorrow that brings an awful death. It's the surrender to the mercy of God that is the source of our fruitfulness. It's the source of our being a good gift to others, even in their wretchedness, even in their cruel defendedness, which each of us faces daily in some way or another, for us to go, okay, Lord, come. Come, Lord, I need your living water today. I need your mercy today. There was a woman in John 4 who needed the mercy of God, and God knew it. Such a beautiful woman, the Samaritan woman. She had lots of strikes against her, naturally speaking. Um, uh, Probably the most obvious thing to Jesus, I would assume, would have been what we would call bad shame. Now, there's different kinds of shame. Some shame is a good shame. But this was a bad shame. This was a shame based upon the traditions of men. Jesus was always distinguishing traditions, wasn't he? Saying this is the tradition of God versus these are the cruel and ugly traditions of men. But we can mistake them. And when we mistake them, we can assume this shame is even from God. When in fact it's something evil and cruel and conceived by broken men and women that's passed down generationally. And we just assume it is as life is. And the way that we communicate this shame is with our eyes. How we size each other up. How we kind of subtly scorn another because their skin is darker. Or or their eyes are slanted. Or they don't look very well dressed. Or they're kind of misshapen. Or they're not very fit. Or this or that or the other. We size people up. And we shame them with how we look at them. We might think, well, I didn't say anything. Well, good for you. (laughs) You've shamed them with your eyes. Amen? So how would have persons looked at this woman many, many years ago? First, she was a Samaritan. So ethnically, she was on the bottom of the ladder. And there's lots of reasons for that. Originally, Samaritans were the result of the holy high Jews Messing around with the carnal Canaanites and the fruit of the Jews' idolatry were Samaritans. So, what do we do when someone reminds us of our failure? What do we do? And we have power. We put them in their place, we shut them up. We use our power to make sure they can't be a reflection of the sin that we've done. We're messed up, aren't we? We get a little power, and we misuse it. So this woman was, being, was used to being looked upon scornfully, especially by Jews, who were much higher ethnically on that hierarchy, the traditions of men. She was also a woman, a woman in those days. It was a funny thing. The women were thought of as being the seducers. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> You know, I mean, given all the gender inequities and the man's power and the man having all this, you know, all these rights that women doesn't, women were thought of as being the dirty ones. And so a holy guy wasn't even supposed to look upon a woman for fear that he would be captivated by her, by her, you know, sort of Jezebel thing going on. So, so uh, she would have thought, man, a Jewish dude... <laughs> is going to look at me scornfully because of my, my skin color and is also going to just turn away from me uh, because of my gender. Uh, so the traditions of men. She would have thought when Jesus was behind her at the well waiting for water that this guy would want nothing to do with her. And what does Jesus do? He's so great. He just just breaks down the barriers, just breaks them down by being kind, by being present, by just talking with her, just by saying, hey, can you help me? I can't quite get around to to the spout there. Help me fill this thing up. She thinks, wow, he asked nicely, and he needs my help. (laughs) What did he need my help for And it begins to break something down. It challenges the shame. Sometimes just in one way in which we interact with someone, it challenges their preconceived ideas of how we are, of who we are of how we're there to put them in their place. And it begins to open something up, as it did for her. It begins to break down the shame. And then he said, well, you know, thanks for the water, but I would give you water that would well up inside of you. It would actually quench your deepest desire. And this is a woman of desire, we'll find out. And that appeals to her, and she thinks, what? Holy water, living water, <laughs> what are you talking about? So he's taking her a little bit deeper at that point. Now, now, I'm not a Samaritan woman, and I don't want to make too many parallels with my own life, but I'm a broken person, and I know something about shame because my brokenness has to do with gender identity. Later on, it had to do with homosexual desires, Later on, it had to do with actually assuming a homosexual identity and kind of publicly being that, uh, finding a kind of refuge in that construct of the gay self, if you will. Different stages to that. But I know something about shame because when someone isn't centered in their identity as a male or female, that's a really that's a really important part of our identities, right? Of ourselves. We you know, the the, the the root of all fellowship is the male and the female. And so it matters the degree to which we've been reconciled to that in a good way. And we're at peace with being either male or female in the world. And, of course, that's that's entirely, nearly a social reality, isn't it? Other people either bless that or don't, when it's not blessed because there's something amiss. And I think we can say there's a lot of steps that we can miss on the way to becoming a gender whole person, especially in this culture. It's not a given. We're born either male or female, but we have not yet realized a whole identity As a masculine or feminine person, there's lots of steps in that. That's a complicated thing, and I don't want to get into it. It's just to say, for me, there were several missing steps. And the effect of that for me was that others looked upon me as if something was wrong. Now, in a way, something was wrong. But in another way, the response of those looking upon me was often not for the sake of grace and truth and imparting what I needed, but shaming what i wasn't and and this is something that i think we're all a little guilty of we do size people up in regards to their clarity of masculine or feminine we do and when we see them being a little amiss a little kind of gender neutral a little bit we think oh he's queer <sighs> she's got issues whatever ain't judging it you're judging it all the way Right? And I don't mean judgment like eternally or something. I just mean you're saying, eh, off. Something's off there, you know? And so that's what I grew up with, with that kind of sight. And that progressed into actually assuming, well, that's who I am and acting that way. It's pretty easy to do that these days and and self identifying as a homosexual. Well, by the grace of God, I did become a Christian. People were praying for me, saying, man, this dude needs to get saved. I did, you know. I mean, clearly, um, you know. And uh, I did get saved. Praise the Lord. You know, I said, Jesus, I need you. I really need help. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I'm glad too, but, you know, it's obvious. If you're a broken person, you, you just think, man, I need God. Like, this is not something that's going to be solved by you know, 45 minutes on the analyst couch a week. You know, that can help. Believe me, that can really help. But foundationally, something's got to shift. There's got to be a shift in the foundation. And that has to do with the creator. Amen? So Jesus, you know, brings that to us. Good thing. Praise the Lord. Okay, so that's good, right? But that is only the beginning, people. It's only the beginning, and, and I would be a fool to get up here and say, well, I just accepted the Lord, and that's it. God bless you. Go home. Just help your gay friends to accept the Lord. You know what? That's a thin answer. It's a thin answer. You know why? First church I came to, there was some kind of macho dude. <laughs> Not like this guy, man. Tim is macho, but he's got a tender heart. I mean, he almost took me down in the parking lot, but I just said, Tim... I'm I'm the preacher, man, and, you know, kidding. No, no, it was kind of this macho dude, you know, and, you know, he was young, and in those days, they were raising up young pastors, right, not very seasoned. Anyway, this guy kind of, I started, I was going to this church because some of my friends were, and this guy was kind of checking me out, and, you know, I thought, and you know what, what, you know what I saw in his face? Scorn. I saw scorn. Now you can say, well, you were just transferring that. You're too sensitive, whatever. You know what? I saw scorn. I saw him looking at me, and maybe, man, he was looking at me and kind of going, you know, you got issues. Okay, sure I do. You know what? I need to get saved. I came here to get saved. Ain't done yet, right? Let's not mistake justification for being saved. Being saved is a lifetime thing, right? And so so he was looking at me kind of like, you know, but it wasn't like an invitation to more. It was like a judgment in the eyes. This is bad shame, how we look at people. You know what the Apostle Paul says about that when he talks of the new creation? From now on, you judge no one from a worldly point of view. we got to be so careful, don't we? Judge no one. You think you know that person, oh, They're queer. I know it. I've been there. I've seen it. It's like, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing about him or her. You might see a besetting thing. It is skin deep. You don't know what's going on in the heart of that person, do you? How dare we do this? How dare we as Christians, we who've been dive-bombed by the creator and redeemer of all, then reduce people to our petty judgments. It's evil. It's wicked. And when I saw that on that man's face, I'm saying I didn't get saved to go back onto the playground in fifth grade and sixth grade. Didn't get saved for that. So I left the place, found a humble church, probably like this church. Pro- honestly, I would think. Pretty gritty, you know, new you know, meeting in some sleazy elementary school. (laughs) It really was. You know, in California, that's all we had. You know, no real estate available. Sleazy elementary schools, but wonderful, earthy pastor. So earthy, so wonderful. I just loved him. And a lot of earthy people operating in the gifts of the Spirit, like you do, right? All your great, those are great prophecies. It was just lovely to hear that. And, you know, you always are fearing that it's going to go over the edge, right? Tim, I can just see Tim going, oh, no, here it goes. Here it goes. The light just went into something else, you know. But it was so great, moving in the gifts, open to it, God's speaking, God's acting. And how beautiful that is when, when we, we see and hear truly on others' behalf. Because sometimes the word of Jesus in our own hearts is weak, isn't it? I mean, that's why we're here and maybe we get it through a great message or, you know, worship. and But sometimes it comes in the you and me, right? Just from that person that sees something in us. Seeing. It's about seeing, really. The bad traditions are conveyed through sight, but so are the good ones. And there was a woman, <laughs> a frightening woman. I thought she was frightening, actually. She... She was, um, didn't have good social skills, uh, but so full of the Holy Spirit, wild look in her eye often, and I didn't know if that was the spirit of Pentecost or a lack of medication. I, I wasn't sure, but anyway, I was such a young Christian, I didn't know where to put her except to remove myself, you know, to try to avoid her, but she came up to me once and she said, do you know who you are? I thought, oh, no, here it comes. Yeah, I'm a gay dude. I shouldn't, you yeah, know, whatever. I thought, you know, prophetic, you know, admonition or something. She goes, do you know who you are? I said, i mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't begin to tell you, sweetie. <laughs> she said, you're Andrew. And I, did, I didn't use that name then. I do now. And I said, oh, okay, Andrew. She goes, you know what that means? I said, mm-mm. She goes, it means masculine one. She said, you are God's masculine one. So she looked at me according to the tradition of God, and she saw who I was. She called it into being. Even at the very beginning, when it wasn't integrated, when I you know, I was so not far along in the process, she called into being. She saw who I was. She fleshed it out. With her speech. Not powerful. The heavens pour forth speech, but when it comes through us to another, it's mighty. It's mighty. So when you s- keep your eyes open here, people, you see your brother and sister, you might see something, you might be calling into being something in them which is weak, but very real. Who he is, who she is, what he or she is for. The power of your tongue, the power of sight, and then the power to say it. Do it. It's powerful. Breaking that bad shame off us. But there's also good shame. That lady had good shame. I had good shame. You know what good shame is? Good shame is when you come to know this Jesus a little bit, and you start feeling real uncomfortable about the crummy stuff you're doing. No matter what the hand is that you're dealt, mother, father, pastor, brother, canine wound, I don't know what it is, whatever it is that's compelling you to give yourself to people in compromise, to make yourself an idol or to make someone else an idol for the purpose of closing the gap in some form or another. When we feel bad about that, that's a good thing. Don't write that off as negative guilt or the church is just laying a trip on me or you're just so religious or... No, that's good shame. That's built into your inspired humanity. It means there's something truer in you saying you're not being true to yourself and you're not really being true to her or to him. Right? That's good. So Jesus offers this lady this water You know, water works, you know, that's beautiful, holy water, thank you. I'll take the water, I'm so thirsty, you know. And then he says, Yeah, well, why don't you go call your husband and he can get some water too? And she's like, You know, keep my husband out of it. You know, in other words, get out of my bedroom. Just give me the water, just, you know, give me a little spiritual spritzer on Sunday. And stay out of my bedroom, stay out of my life, right? And he says, no, no, let's call your husband. Let's bring him into these waterworks. And she says, you know, I don't have one. As if to say, butt out, Jesus. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had six husbands. And the guy waiting down the hill, you're not married to. You're right, you don't have one now. And then she's like, oh, wow. This guy's serious. Jesus is serious. He knows us, right? He knows who we are. He knows that we're spiritual beings and we want to feel good and we want to feel okay with God and, you know, be with neat people here. And and then he says, Well, what are you doing going home and going to the sewer? You can't live out of two fountains, it just doesn't work. The one wrecks the other one, you can't have two altars, whatever language you wanna use. And it's at that point that she takes a quantum leap in her conversion. She thinks he really knows me and he's serious about this desire and what I'm doing with my heart and my body, how we offer ourselves and our hunger for love really matters to God. And when we're going outside the lines, when we're offering ourselves to people who don't deserve our choices offering, they don't because they've not made a commitment to us. They're not that serious. And you're not that serious about them or you'd make that commitment, right? Of course you would. You'd say, let's work at this. This is serious. This is about giving birth to new life that really needs something substantial, Some of us who come out of broken families, that's one thing we've learned. It's not about having sex. It's about caring for the fruit of it. Isn't it? That's what life is about. It's about tending to the fruit of our fun. Amen? It's not just about losing a little loneliness for a half hour. It's about growing up and learning how to give ourselves to someone because they're worthy of it not because they give us a good orgasm. I'm sorry, but that's true. And that's where porn is such a liar because it reduces it all to a fireworks show rather than the hard work it takes to offer yourself when the other person is hard for you to love, which is more what family's about than the fireworks. Amen. We got to we got to learn this, don't we? We got to get it. And it starts when you're 8 and 12 and 16 these days because of internet porn. Because of our idols who are all naked and alluring. And how good it is for God to say, "Ah, oh, I know it, it it's hard to feel bad. I'm glad you do." So you can you can start shutting down you know, the doors on those those sources that are really hurting you. And even if it doesn't feel that way now, it's going to really cost you in a year or two, five years, ten years, whatever. So good. When I was kind of working this stuff out, I, the Lord just said, you need to shut the door. I'm like, but God, I'm, it's so hard, <laughs> so hard to shut it. Like, you heal me and then I'll shut it. He said, no, shut it kind of a God are you? (laughs) But it's true. It's about allegiance, isn't it? It's about allegiance. Like, who are you going to follow? Is he Lord or is he just kind of a spiritual guy that's better than another one? And uh, so I, I shut it. Shut it in the, you know, at the peak of my youthful sexuality. I just said, man, you can never bless this. So I'm shutting it. Now, that was also an invitation to say, man, I really need this body. I, know, I love the spiritual gifts and operating them and stuff, but I really needed people to walk and work this out with badly. I was in a church where some guys were starting to gather to, to deal with their heterosexual sin. Most of them had it and were trying to overcome it and trying to be true Christians. I appreciated that. And they realized this isn't just a one-time prayer, a dramatic Weeping at the altar, which, you know, Pentecostal world, a little more like that, right? I got delivered Saturday night, whatever. Okay, great. Now, what did you do Tuesday night? You know, where were you? I was looking at a screen. I was a little lonely. Like, well, okay, eight more came in then. So we gather. We gather together and we say, I really want to work this out and I need you, my brother. I need to ask you, you know, help me, pray for me. Can I call you? Can we be connected every day so that I can get free of this? That's what it takes. These are pernicious addictions. They're deep. For many of us, they started, as this guy said, eight years old. Eight years old. Some of us, that's inconceivable, but it's so common these days. So to break the grip of it, the way we've gotten wired through repetitive behaviors we need a lot of accountability. And what was so healing about that, not only did I begin to get free of the behavior, the porn and stuff and masturbation, but also I began to realize I'm not so different. I'm actually one of the guys, one of the broken, normal guys trying to get free. Amen? When you start really dealing with sin for what it is, and it you know, kind of pulls up the divide between, quote, gay and straight, and it just becomes about purity And really wanting to be that, to be a good offering for Jesus in this way. And when you get a little sober in that way, then God is able to take you deeper into more foundational things. Like, how did I get this way? What's really going on with me? And that's a lot about what Living Waters is, is providing a safe place for a more profound exploration of what is it? What are the missing pieces in my foundation that would even incline me towards my own gender. For me, much of that had to do with with a complicated relationship with my father. I would say it's complicated. I'd say he's a pretty good man. And I would say I wasn't a terrible son, but I think it's a complicated dance often. And it actually took a lot of prayer and a lot of focus to get to the core of some significant problems (laughs) in this relationship. And it actually took my initiative as someone who really wanted to be an honorable son, to engage my father in a way that began, actually, an extraordinary process of healing. By the grace of God, I can say he was open to that. We all don't have those opportunities. Nevertheless, Jesus can take us a long way as we are willing to engage with him and others. In the process of all of that, I began to experience attraction from, for the opposite gender. I was very familiar with them towards my own, but as God began to set some things in place for me, then there began to be a release of feeling, beautiful feelings for the opposite gender for the first time, almost seeing her in a new way, not just as a friend or something, but as, as, as another, really, as someone that was attractive to, uh, attractive to me. Just because I was attracted to women that didn't make me a good gift to women. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you know, attraction is, has its limits. It's good. It's motivational. But um, to offer yourself wholly is hard work, isn't it? It's hard work. It's good work. And uh, I uh, met a woman that I really fell in love with. And we married many, many years ago. And uh, we have four great kids older kids, Um, the parenting continues long into their 20s, if you haven't noticed, (laughs) these days especially. We're so tied into our kids and so on. Anyway, um, uh, a couple of things in closing that were very important for my wife and I, uh, fiance, I guess, at that point, um, were similar to this woman, the Samaritan woman. um, After Jesus kind of rightfully pointed out uh, some of the false wells that she was dealing with, Uh, And she responded soberly. He said, um, you know, you and people like you, speaking to Samaritans, so prophetic when you think about it, you and people like you, these are the lowest people in the caste system there, Uh, you and people like you are the ones who are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, you and people like you, recipients of this mercy, recipients of this new life, surrendered in your brokenness to this mercy, you're going to be the true worshipers, the true worshipers. And I think for my fiance and I, we were, we were broken. She was broken in her way, I in mine, and we were seeking to be good offerings to each other. And what was really foundational was doing what we did this morning, was just offering ourselves, Lord, we love you. As we offer ourselves, God pouring Himself out more and more and more, all the more. So, worship was so fundamental to, to our beginnings, to our sustenance, to our life today. And then, of course, we had to give it away, right? Like this woman. This woman, just having received from the Lord, went out to all the people she knew. She actually became the first female evangelist. She did. She went into the towns and she told everyone about Jesus and she started revival there. Someone who had just encountered this living water. My wife and I determined that we needed to offer this too. That the church actually, you know, we hear so many horror stories. Oh, the church, oh, the church, oh, oh the church. So much healing potential in the church. So much opportunity to get free if all of our sexual issues are in some ways based upon relational brokenness, then shouldn't the new community be the place where we find safe and deep places where we worship? To say, man, I'm, I'm, my worship is being compromised by this sin. Certainly then, the house of worship needs to be the place where we admit it, where we find safe enough relationships in it, to become whole worshipers. If that's not what the church is, and I don't know what it is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you very much. You've been very generous and responsive. Um, I want to make a time just to ask for God to meet us. You know, if you've been a little bit like this in some areas, really, you know, you're kind of mad. And you find yourself being, you know, pretty tight towards certain groups of people, even blaming them. A person, a person becoming a people group, whatever the case might be. You know, maybe it's time for you just to go like this. Like, Lord, I need your mercy. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't want to die like this. I want to die like that. Yeah. Yeah. And be fruitful. Amen? So you know what, if you want that, come up. That's a good thing to do. You know, I've shared hard stuff with you about my broken little life and good life. So you come up and say, yeah, I need that mercy. God would honor that. So come up and we'll, we'll pray. We'll pray together. Be good.